gotta hang it, hand it over to another uh, Rockstar panel um, with uh, Vlad Cuesta hosting. Vlad, how are you, my friend? Hi there. I was about to say Very hello, party you. people, but that's for the wrong podcast. Uh, <laughs> no, actually, HCPP is a really, really big party, uh, if you think about it. Uh, and we're having a blast here in Meet Space for sure. Uh, and it's awesome to get all of you from cyberspace involved as well. Uh, so Vlad, unfortunately, uh, couldn't come. Uh, and neither could Jonas Nick, uh, Blockstream uh, cryptographer and, and wizard uh, of, of Bitcoin, even though he doesn't have a long beard. Uh, that, that's a good, good disguise, actually. Jonas, how are you? I'm good. I'm very good. Uh, good to be here. Took me a while to set this up technically because being a real cypherpunk, I don't do that very often. And my <laughs> microphone broke, my driver didn't work. So I hope this will now work out for the next hour. <laughs> Uh, well, we are up and running, and I see you got your coffee too. Um, plus, the whiteboard in the background, as any good hacker should. Uh, yeah, so that's that. for my own safety. If I fail to understand concepts uh, correctly, then I have, then this whole uh, whiteboard might be able to help me. Yes, fantastic. Um, so, uh, Vlad, uh, take it over. Oh yeah, this is the Bitcoin takeover, baby. So I take over. <laughs> That's the <laughs> But do you hear me well? Because I didn't get to do a proper mic check and I'm not sure if the level is right or I'm louder than Jonas. Yeah, it is I hear you well. Okay. I usually do this testing before I get into conversations. This is season six, episode nine being recorded live with Jonas Nick. I wasn't sure if your name isn't Nick Jonas, and I was about to crack a joke about the Jonas Brothers and where are Joe and what's the other one, Kevin or something. Yeah, I'm sorry for that. I'm not really responsible for that name, but yeah, still sorry for that. <laughs> and um, I don't know, it, it helps uh, my anonymity set because if you Google my name, you usually find uh, like this one guy from the Jonas Brothers instead of me which of course has its advantages and also disadvantages. <laughs> oh yeah, Max called us rock stars, but you have the name of a rock star and you work for a <laughs> rock star company. And I suppose we should talk about what Sergey said about Blackstream people in the previous panel. And he was kind of, you know, dismissive of the idea that people want to work for Blockstream and that you are wizards who seek for complexity for the sake of getting more funding or I'm not sure if that was the point. I wish he was still around to make it clear. But what is it like to work for Blockstream? Is it as obscure and occult as people claim it to be? <laughs> I mean, Blockstream today is not that small of a company anymore. We're more than 60 people. I work mostly uh, with the research team, and I'm very happy to work with that team. Mm. Uh, is it obscure and occult? I don't think so, because occult often means like doing things in secret, and the Blockstream research team does very few things in secret. Most of the things we do is actually in public on, on GitHub, etc. Um, but I mean, one of our problems is that like everyone calls us wizards and um, it was this gives us a certain aura and um, this actually has the effect that people don't want to apply because they think you need to be a wizard to be at Blockstream. Um, but uh, I think the 
answer to that is everyone can be a wizard. That's a nice way of putting it. And I suppose there's a lot of talent that doesn't necessarily want to work at Blockstream, but should work on Bitcoin projects and on the base layer and optimizations. And I happen to have taken a look at your resume and I'm quite impressed. And I want to talk to you about this philosophy of making transactions smaller. So instead of mm. making blocks big to fit more transactions that are likewise big, you're working on aggregation of signatures that will make transactions a lot smaller in these small blocks. And I, I hope I didn't say anything stupid with aggregation of signatures because I saw the look on your face, but I'm going to let you explain. Yeah, so I think the general idea is that um, what we're doing right now in Bitcoin isn't very efficient and um, there are ways to make it more efficient and these ways aren't very contentious in the community so we should just do them and uh, one of these things is the new encoding of signatures in um, uh, bib schnorr and bib taproot because right now signatures are more than uh, 70 bytes and by having a new encoding scheme we can reduce that to 64 bytes and that's a very simple fix that has uh, some uh, effect and we, we can do um, more with that. Like one of these things um, that we've been working on at Blockstream in particular is this idea of music where we are able to aggregate public keys into a single public key. And this will be supported by Bipschnor as well and will be useful for multi-signatures. And then the next step will be what, what you were talking about, this idea of uh, signature aggregation and uh, for that you need a verification algorithm that's different to normal Schnorr signature verification. So this is not in BIP Schnorr, but uh, something we'll certainly be working on in the future. This is definitely fascinating and I'm happy that you mentioned Taproot and Schnorr because they have been discussed for quite some time. They have been in review and I suppose the time is right to try some activation. I saw some Reddit posts by Greg Maxwell, who is explaining that this situation is already in a very advanced phase. And how do you regard Taproot right now? What is the current state of it? So the current state is that uh, the cryptography parts have been recently merged. And now um, the question is, uh, of merging this pull request to Bitcoin Core that actually uh, deals with these with this new output format. So uh, right now, the output format is uh, SegWit version one, and the new one with Bit Taproot will be seg uh, or wrong. The current one is SegWit version zero, and the new one will be version one. And the code to actually understand how to spend these outputs, that's currently just a pull request and that is being reviewed. And um, I haven't seen much uh, active discussion there recently. Mm. Uh, and I have not reviewed this PR. I was mostly involved with uh, cryptographic parts and um, I know that some people reviewed this PR very closely and have written tests for it and done even some uh, 
let's say, obscure but useful testing strategies like mutation testing on it. And um, so I'm relatively confident, even without looking at the code, that this might actually work. But uh, I probably, I, I'm not so sure about the, the Bitcoin core um, policies for merging these PR. So maybe they're just waiting for some uh, final X on that PR from reputable people. Yeah. But um, it's certainly a good time to talk about uh, activation strategies. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you know, Jonas, that is. Go, go if on. I point, point out one specific question here, Jonas. Uh, and that is uh, by the way, how is my connection coming through? Am I lagging? Works very well. Okay, works well. Very good. Um, so uh, the, the question is, you know, as you said, there uh, these like the pull requests are very high quality, both in the code as well as in the review and all the testing and so on. Um, but still, there's uh, it, it seems that this is uh, taking quite some time uh, for further, uh, you know, activation or or uh, merging. Um, so you said that you had some quarrel with the Bitcoin Core process here. Um, where do you see some problems, and and how do you think that the, it can be improved? Uh, the thing is, is that I'm not uh, really actively working on Bitcoin Core, or I'm only working on a sub-project of Bitcoin Core, namely the cryptographic library, and I know how that works. So I don't have any problems with the Bitcoin Core uh, PR policies and whatnot. I just don't know how they work. Um, and the thing why it's taking so long is not due to some Bitcoin core policies. It's just that um, this stuff just takes time and there are not that many people working on it and many people have other things to do as well. And like tap, in, in the Bitcoin world, Taproot is very interesting, but uh, it's not the most interesting happening all the time. So people work on other things too, and there were some improvements to Max Jonas. Uh, yes, hello, hello. There seems to have been some realignment of the Jitsi. <laughs> I hope Jonas can drop in back in just a sec. Okay. I wasn't sure if it's my connection or something has happened on your side. Yeah, I think that it is on my side, uh, but I will check some further things. So Jonas is back. Fantastic. Please continue. Uh, when was I disconnected? <laughs> uh, well, Flat, maybe you can pick up with the next question. You have something. Yeah. So you're describing the inefficiencies with Bitcoin Core. And I think part of the answer that I got was that you don't work directly in Bitcoin Core or actively and you work on a different project. And after that, I think I kind of lost the plot. Ah. But I was about to ask you something which Mm -hmm. is very much relevant for this conference because we are speaking as if we are at breaking Bitcoin or something. But there are people in the audience listening right now and maybe that they don't know much because this isn't a Bitcoin only conference per se. It's more of a hackers Congress. And there may be people who know nothing about 
all of these improvements that are to be made in Bitcoin. So how would you describe Taproot and Schnorr signatures in very simple terms? Oh, that's a good question. And I am the wrong person to ask that. <laughs> but I can I can still try. Uh, so um, like, as I said earlier, there's a lot of things in Bitcoin that uh, we can still optimize. And um, one of the things that we optimize with Taproot in, specific, uh, in particular is that let's say you have a coin and there's a certain spending policy for that coin. And by spending policy, I mean something like uh, Alice must provide a signature to spend that coin or Bob must provide a signature or Charlie and David must provide a signature. So I'm, I mean policies and sometimes this is also referred to as uh, smart contracts. Now, um, one of the inefficiencies that we see um, is that even if, or let's say it like that, you can satisfy this policy without showing the policy. So you can say, here, I'm Alice, I provide a signature, and um, then I can spend the coin without showing the rest of this policy to the world. And this allows us to have um, smaller transactions, which are cheaper. We can put more of them in a block, but also makes Bitcoin more fungible because then uh, we don't have to show the whole policy to, a world, to the world, only a small part of it. So this is um, the idea behind Taproot. And um, so Taproot, I think, was first proposed beginning of 2019, I think. And um, uh, this was like an, an additional uh, optimization of the proposals that have existed before for doing this um, this thing with only showing part of the policy where you can do it in a really optimized way where you have one uh, default spending path and this one is very efficient it's just a single public key and uh, you can spend the coin by providing a signature for that public key but inside that public key a more complicated policy can be hidden so if you need something like after time T, then a different set of signers can spend this coin. Then you can have that hidden in a public key and nothing else. And this is like the main idea behind Taproot that you can hide the policies inside a public key itself. Yeah, so let me try to give an example if I understood well. Let's say that I'm going to have children soon and I want to give my son 0.1 Bitcoin when he turns 18 or when he becomes literate enough to sign the transaction himself. And I put these two conditions in a multi-sig and whichever one of them gets fulfilled is going to be written in the blockchain. But the final writing on the public blockchain is not going to contain all the conditions that I have set. It's, all, it's going to look just like every other transaction. Did I get that right? Uh, yes, until spending time. So you have one default path 
and if it's spent with the default path then it looks like a normal payment but if you need to use another path for example something like after time t after your son is uh, 18 then you have to show that this path was actually committed to in that uh, public key and then you have to reveal it but if there are more spending policies you don't have to reveal them you only have to uh, reveal a single one and yeah that's uh, one of the main things in taproot the other main thing is that um, uh, in taproot we also switch to the schnorr signature scheme instead of ecdsa which means that uh, we can actually in this single public key the default spending path we can actually uh, realize a multi-sig policy and the, re the how that works is that if you have alice bob and charlie you can base you can say okay let's create a three of three multi-sig or perhaps a better example are lightning channels because that is like an immediate uh, use case so you have an, a lightning channel between alice and bob and a lightning channel always has a um, needs to have some kind of multi-sig coin with alice and bob and right now you have alice and bob's public key in the chain and that shows the world that this is like a multi-sig uh, setup which is bad and it's also more expensive because you have to actually write the public key both public key and both signatures in the chain and uh, with this switch to schnorr signatures you can um, simplify this because what you can essentially do is just add up alice and bob's key and then in order to sign it both need to create a partial signature and then they can add up this partial signature to get a final signature and then they have this combined key which looks like a normal key a combined signature which looks like a normal signature they can spend the coin uh, and it looks like any other payment but it required co cooperation between alice and bob and uh, no one can know about this from just looking at the blockchain it's like a second big improvement uh, with BIP Taproot. That definitely sounds fascinating and I look forward to activating it on my node. Even if I don't use the features, I still think it's worth supporting for the sake of pushing Bitcoin development forward. And I was about to mention that a lot of people look into what, what else is happening in the space right now. And they say, oh, Bitcoin has been the same for such a long time. There's nothing going on. There's no development. There are very few developers. Look at Ethereum. They have thousands of developers or whatever. They have DeFi. And look at this yield farming scam and whatever. Yeah. And how do you actually convince people that this is not, you know, I don't know which example I should give, maybe Android development, where it's a good idea to have all sorts of developers working on your platform and do stuff independently. But with Bitcoin, you're supposed to be conservative and make sure that you don't break anything. And when you make a change, it should be very well written and it should not break consensus. And with the centralized systems in general, you should be very cautious. We have had mm -hmm. that experiences in 2010 and the worst one, I think, was in 2013 with that accidental hard fork that happened. And essentially, one of the goals of Bitcoin development is to allow Satoshi to return at any point and spend his coins, right? We don't want to move to another chain, which makes it impossible for Satoshi to move his coins. Yeah, I don't think that's 
I'm not sure if that will ever work because at some point it's possible that we have actual quantum computers. And then it would be possible for anyone with a quantum computer to spend Satoshi's coins. Um, but in general, if people say that uh, Bitcoin is somewhat slow in, in development, I mean, that's, that's true, I think, and that's a good thing, but that only concerns the base layer. I think everything else moves very quickly, at least in, uh, in my perspective. I have no idea about all the things that happen in, in the Lightning Network, for example, and all the things that happen in the uh, hardware wallet uh, multi-signature space. Um, I view uh, Bitcoin and altcoins just as qualitatively different things. So one thing is uh, censorship resistant and the other things are try to do something else and perhaps don't try to be money and they do interesting experimentation for sure and they're better and worse altcoins, of course. Um, so I think the answer to that would be just that these uh, things are not really comparable. Okay, so let's get back to something that you actually do and concerns your everyday work. On your website, which is called nickler.ninja, you have a proposal to reduce um, the transaction sizes of Bitcoin with X-only pub keys. <laughs> How would you describe that? And why is it a good idea to reduce transactions and uh, transaction sizes? And how can you do that without breaking consensus? Um, so the, the proposal is actually part of the Bipschnor proposal. So the, right now in Bitcoin, uh, public keys, wait, I can perhaps write it down if you see that. So let me see, does it work perhaps 33 bytes? Yeah, I can see. Uh, perhaps it's easier just to, to talk about it. So right now in, uh, in Bitcoin, public keys are usually written to the blockchain in the compressed format, which means they have 33 bytes. And um, in an initial version of Bipschnor, um, we just uh, kept the same public key format, 33 bytes. And, um, but we knew that you could actually uh, remove the first byte because the first byte is just a single bit uh, saying um, on which side of the curve the corresponding point is. So this will, this will get very deep. Um, so let, let's perhaps not go there. Um, so while working on Bipschnor, we thought, well, I mean, we, we're thinking about this new proposal now. Why don't we make it simpler, simpler and remove this? Uh, first byte. So this is what we're um, doing now. Um, it it doesn't really add a lot of complexity. I mean, it, I think it just adds one additional check somewhere. Um, and um, by that you save uh, one byte. It's just something we, we did along with um, Bipschnor. And then the blog post also goes into detail of how to show that this is not less secure than having uh, 33 bytes public keys. Okay. Yes. So, uh, Jonas, that was actually why do you think? Oh, there's Peter Todd. Oh my God. <laughs> we we just uh, expanded the panel conversation. Uh, <laughs> Peter Todd magically appeared. I wrote him like two days ago, inviting him to come on the TV at like 2 a.m. Prague time, which is this evening. 
Uh, he confirms everything, right? I, I, I aligned the schedule. All of a sudden, five minutes later, he says, Max, fuck it. I bought a plane ticket. I will be there on Friday. Uh, and now he's sitting here. Uh, so like how are you supposed to, to organize something when you have crazy, freedom-loving people like Peter? And that's <laughs> Aleko's thing. Yes, and Aleko's as well. Um, so I bring these two on specifically because I think they're, they're, they're uh, well, first of all, great Bitcoin contributors. Um, and, and, you know, specifically, Aleko's is working on the Magical Bitcoin Wallet, um, which is really cutting edge on, um, on many of the technical fronts. I consider it as one of the next generation wallets. Uh, and we spoke about Taproot, right? And, and how that type of new wallet uh, might work with Taproot. Um, so maybe you can speak a couple of things about that specifically. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'm definitely not like a Taproot expert, so uh, I don't know the crypto details. Uh, in general, yeah, for, for my project, uh, which actually it was called Magical Bitcoin Wallet uh, until uh, a couple of weeks ago, now it's been renamed with BDK because we've merged with uh, BDK guys. Um, so yeah, now it's What BDK. does BDK stand for? Uh, it's Bitcoin Dead Kid. Uh -huh. it, it was a project started by Steve Myers. Um, maybe you've heard about it. And yeah, it was originally called BDK and my magical. Now we've merged them together, but the name BDK remain. Um, so yeah, speaking of Taproot, it's definitely something I'm looking at because I, the, the goal of BDK is basically to um, make a library that can support potentially any kind of wallet, like um, generalized scripts, uh, different spending policies and conditions. So Taproot is definitely a good thing for that, especially in terms of privacy. So right now, if you want to do like a very complex wallets you're gonna have a very specific on-chain like footprint because uh, you can see scripts that are very very uh, particular so yeah definitely looking into taproot uh i don't know how yet so we're gonna try probably people smarter than me <laughs> that they know that people are gonna try to make it work somehow um, yeah okay so we have two taproot experts i suppose we should make them discuss and debate on something is there anything that you guys disagree on yes uh, well peter disagrees with most everything uh, so uh, what are your disagreements with taproots where do you have your calls with it well i think the biggest quarrel is i haven't really read much about it <laughs> and you know i mean i i've you know focusing on the client-side consensus stuff for yeah. quite a while so yeah. i haven't really paid too much attention to it but you know, even for clients as, as validated states, um, I think Taproot is still a major improvement uh, with, uh, with you know, multiple things like public key tweaks and so on. Yeah, it, you know, and I think like reusing it as, as a, you know, as a module really, and in, you know, any of the stuff I do is certainly going to happen. But you know, it's it, it's one of those things where kind of kind of let it take a while to gel and so on. And, most stuff I've been uh, doing has been written in Rust, so of course I'm waiting for a Rust implementation to happen. Yeah. And, you know, then we'll argue about uh, consensus and so on, uh, whether or not the two implementations match, but you know, at some point I'll probably wind up using that. Mm -hmm. Isn't there already a Rust implementation out there? Does anyone know? There, there's a Rust implementation of the crypto parts, and they're right now also including the new BIP Schnorr things. I think it's called Rust SecP 256K1, uh, but it doesn't include consensus parts. And if it was, you shouldn't use it, of course. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Flam. Oh, so I'm the one who's supposed to save this awkward silence moment. Okay. 
So Always. let's get back on track. I wanted to ask Jonas about his work on Nix Bitcoin because I think that's unique and I'm not sure if he's the maintainer of that repository. But I don't know many people who use Nix OS, so I think that's definitely special. Yeah, so I'm the maintainer because I started it and uh, people verify my signature when they update uh, Nix Bitcoin. Um, so the reason for doing this was, I think, as there right now there are many uh, Bitcoin node projects which try to bundle like Bitcoin, Lightning, Coin Joins, and and whatnot, and I think they all started with the same problem that if you try to set this up yourself, your own node, then you want to do it in a way that's uh, reproducible. Uh, and perhaps for others to use as well. And this is how Nix Bitcoin got started. Um, yeah, not many people use Nix. That is true. Uh, but uh, <laughs> I like to joke that uh, using NixOS is like the ultimate uh, low time preference move because it's just so much better than everything else. But it has a steep learning curve. That's like a downside if you really want to tinker with a code. What I looked for was what is the most systematic way to set up a Bitcoin node. And um, well, then this whole uh, NixOS thing um, came up. So I'm, I'm really happy with it. And I, there are other brilliant contributors. This, this game has levels because the cool thing about Nix Bitcoin is you can treat, or with NixOS, you can treat your infrastructure as code, but it's like real powerful functional code. So you have really powerful abstractions and you, you can really abstract the things away pretty greatly. I think we have by far the best tests of any node project. Um, <laughs> And uh, that, that's an interesting aspect, I think, uh, because you can just run tests and then everything runs in a container and then execute some Python tests and you can test multiple configurations and so on. So that's pretty cool. Uh, but of course, All right, so uh, yeah. For those of us who haven't looked at Nix much, what's your like 30 second elevator pitch for what it actually does that's different? Uh, so Nix itself is a functional uh, package manager that's um, aimed at being reproducible and reproducible means something else than what we usually refer to as reproducible in the Bitcoin world. It doesn't mean binary compatible. It just means that it basically pins your dependencies by hash and um, then um, uh, it not the same bits, but uh, at least it has the same dependencies. And um, so this is the main idea behind Nix. And um, you can use it on any Linux distribution and on Mac as well as an additional package manager to whatever you have if you want to play around with it. And um, Nix OS is an operating system built on top of that, that idea, which uh, brings that to the next level, because then you just write a single declarative configuration.nix file. You say, in the case of Nix Bitcoin, you say, I want Bitcoin enabled, I want Lightning enabled, I want Tor enforced. Uh, you just set these options to true, then you run Nix OS build switch, that's the command. <laughs> And then it completely builds your system according to your configuration.nix. Um, 
So then that's really cool because then you can have your whole system configuration in a Git repository, for example, to, to track it. And you can also roll it back easily and you can deploy it from other machines easily. So, yeah, but I think... Well, uh, about these yep. machines, um, how, like, how cross-compatible is it for hardware? Are there going to be some compatibility issues when you run it on different uh, architectures of hardware? Um, so you can run it on ARM and you can run it on x86 and yeah, it works just like any Linux distribution. I haven't tried anything else yet. You know, there are only two other people I know that use Nix and they are Stick from Trezor and an Italian girl whose name is Daniela Brazzoni or something. <laughs> yeah. And I think she works for Stick or something, I don't know. But they are the only ones, and right now I discovered that Jonas also uses it, which I think is interesting. I might try it. I'm a Mint Linux kind of guy, so. I mean, Nix Bitcoin is more like uh, is you don't ha really have to understand Nix to use it. You just have to change a configuration file, and that's mostly it. It's yeah, just I if you want to install a node. And you can start with that, and if you want to go deeper into it, then you can make it your main distribution. <laughs> but is, this, though, isn't like cubes, though, where like you're separating things in virtual machines, or could you use Nix that way? So I think, um, so what we're doing in Nix Bitcoin right now, we use heavily uh, uh, containers, but not like Docker, just uh, Linux namespaces and uh, C groups. And uh, because you're essentially programming your system in a functional language, you can use abstractions and you can build your own cubes, yeah. uh, basically. Not with a graphical user interface and everything, but at least a, I think there's even a project which tries to uh, rebuild some parts of cubes with, with Nix. So that's not uh, too difficult. And we do like a weaker thing. We don't use virtual machines. We use containers right now to really containerize every uh, single system service that we have. We put them in their own network namespace. Then we set up routing rules that, um, uh, that only the services who are supposed to talk to each other can talk to each other, et cetera. So security-wise, I mean, it would be as good as the Linux kernel virtual, um, Linux kernel C groups and like yeah. stuff. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so-so. Yeah. But at least it's uh, reproducible. So, uh, you know, if there's an issue with one of your dependencies, you at least know exactly what dependencies you have. And it's also like Cubes OS, like in a imperative operating system, I would say it's also more or perhaps more likely to make mistakes because you misconfigure something or you configure something the first time, then you don't do it the second time and it's et cetera. So um, there are trade-offs certainly. So NixOS is an operating system, right? Yes. Uh, but is, is, in, in what language is it written? Um, it's an operating system built on Linux. It's just a, another Linux distribution. Yeah. And um, some parts are written in Nix, some parts are written in C, I guess. Yeah, that's it. Um, and, and one more question for these dependencies. As you said, the dependencies are hashed and, and kind of ordered. Um, how far down the, the, the supply chain basically does it go? 
Um, so this is an interesting question. Uh, it doesn't go as far as Geeks, for example, G-U-I-X. Uh, and Geeks is a bit of a similar project where you really try to get one, binary compatibility, and two, really reduce your trusted uh, base or trusted computing base, um, which I think are interesting goals, but uh, the Geeks community is, is very small right now, and I think there's no reason why Nix couldn't do similar things as Geeks and both projects could profit from each other. And um, so, yeah, how far does this go? This goes very far. So you basically pin every dependency, and this recursively pins every other dependency and, and so forth. You seem content, Max. I'm happy that you got your answer. Yes, actually, no, that's a very good answer. Um, so, so I'm happy. <laughs> I'm actually excited that I get to have so many developers at the same time. And I wanted to ask you guys, each one of you, so Jonas and Peter and Alekos, what is the Bitcoin project on which you're not working that gets you most excited and you see most potential in it? Who's going to start? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I, I mean, one thing that kind of fascinates me is Lightning in general, like the, the whole ecosystem. Uh, I would like to uh, learn more and then play with it more, I would say. Uh, I don't know about potential because, I I mean, there are drawbacks, but it, it can definitely grow uh, from where we are now. Uh, but yeah, uh, I would definitely like to have more time to spend uh, on, on Lightning stuff in general. Because, uh, Really, really cool, and also moving pretty fast. So, yeah, it's hard to keep up. Yeah, I made a tactical mistake there, uh, letting him answer first, because you know, <laughs> I mean, I, I just used Lightning what three times today yep. for it to actually do useful oh, things, yeah. and it works. I mean, magic. I can't say that of much of the stuff I've done. <laughs> <laughs> Open timestamps works, but it it doesn't have the same satisfaction as you know, buying a beer. <laughs> yeah. Well, I know oh, it's, it's it's pretty magical. I think how far it's kind of come, yeah. and yeah. You, you know maybe it's some interesting things to figure out more trade offs about. You know, how do you, you know, how do you get payments to go through faster? You know, how do you make them more reliable to go through? And there's a lot of different space there. Of course, you know one of what people are doing is just adding trust to that, and those trusted solutions are working pretty well, modulo the trust. Yeah, yeah, that, that's always the thing, right? There's yeah. layers and, and uh, trust trade-offs, obviously. Um, and for me, Lightning is, is a natural answer, but to be more specific, actually, I will say Alakos is um, a magical Bitcoin wallet or a Bitcoin development kit. Um, because for me, it just it, it packages all these new awesome things um, that, that we've built over the last couple of years into a next generation wallet. And that is that is so, so, so powerful. Uh, and I think it will really just realign what we actually think of as a wallet um, to, to quite a big dis extent. So, so uh, Miniscript, Output Script Descriptors, um, and PSPT, th that together is, is a big, big, big paradigm shift. Uh, so I'm super excited for that. Thanks. <laughs> what about you, Jonas? Uh, can I give two answers? <laughs> so the first one was ju would just be usable uh, multisig. So I see there's a lot of uh, progress there because I want to finally uh, use 
multisig in a more user-friendly way and not just for for geeks and without uh, any danger of somehow not finding your coins anymore so that's one thing i'm excited about and uh, the other thing i'm excited about is uh, this specific concept of dual funding in lightning where right now if you open a channel with someone uh, you only use your own coins and um, the idea of dual funding would be that both parties provide inputs to the funding transaction and uh, that way you have a coin join but even better since or if you use that channel and later close it, then uh, the, um, the input and output amounts will be uncorrelated. So you can have an unequal amount coin join, which right now, at least in my opinion, is uh, quite a difficult uh, thing to do correctly. Yes, yes. Um, it, 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 I mean, and that's a good point too, how, like even without any more scripting crew and so on, I mean, lightning channels look like normal multi-sig when they go through the normal processes. And, you know, right there, you've done so much to confuse analysis. And, and things like that just, you know, leverage that even further. Yeah, no, and then as, as Jonas said, this is a small coin join, so the common input ownership heuristic is broken. Okay. Um, and specifically because we have uncertainty about which channel state is being published, right, uh, the, the amounts are, are, are very difficult to correlate to. Uh, and now if you combine that with channel factories, um, that's, I think, going to be uh, like very, very interesting. Right, with having actually more than two people uh, providing these inputs, at, uh, and you know, could potentially have hundreds of inputs in a channel factory opening. Uh, that's really going to confuse uh, surveillance quite a bit. Well, in, you know, an interesting point with all this is, I remember from last year, uh, I, I saw this point of a presentation how you can have a lot of variety in what exactly lightning channels are between you know two entities. You know, one really seemingly crazy example being well you and i can operate a channel with a negative balance as in i actually owe you money but you know with a business relationship that can make a lot of sense it's just you know fancy accounting and it's it's not just the bitcoin in the channel that's kind of securing it but when you add that to say big entities creating these kinds of arrangements to make a bit more money on the routing fees and so on well what that'll look like for the rest of the network it can just look like, well, we have two connections, but they're synthetic. You know, they don't actually match what's on the chain. And again, it's just, yeah, it's another way that you're losing, you know, you're losing data because you don't have insight into it for this. I mean, it's an interesting question. I, I don't know the answer myself, but it could be interesting to have capability to in the Lightning Network to have you know data published about channel connections that doesn't actually mention anything about the pub keys or any of that or the points or so on, just to you know, have that ability. Because I mean, after all, in some cases, you know, maybe I'm ready for Tether for all you know, you know, maybe Blockstream Liquid. Yeah. And I think that that or plus, uh, please continue. Yeah, I was about to ask Jonas to provide the second answer to the question because he only gave us one. Sure. There were two answers. One was like just multi-sig user experience and the other thing is uh, dual-funded lightning channels. Okay, I'm stupid. I admit it. That, that's why I don't work for Blackstream or something. But anyway, <laughs> what is your guys' take on coin joins? Because I see a lot of debates in regards to their efficiency, 
and are they in their current state efficient or should one use them to gain anonymity or should we wait for more improvements to be be made as you said with uneven amounts that get coin joined well i mean i'm the guy who actually came up with the name coin join so i'll be kind of the first to go say uh you know coin join isn't that important compared to things like lightning but at the same time, I mean, all this debate about how inefficient they are and stuff, I think this is the point of how, you know, once you have good software and sort of good kind of economics, good community, if you will, you can always use CoinJoin to make things more efficient. But the simple factor that, you know, if you and I need to go make a payment and we can arrange a CoinJoin, well, we can avoid the header on the transaction. You know, right there, you save a couple bytes. Yeah. Yeah, and that's with the Bitcoin protocol right now. So we'll always be more efficient if you can make if you can make it convenient. Yeah. Now, some of these point joins might actually save you money, but there certainly are opportunities here to make it useful. And it's just a matter of, well, how do you exploit them? Yeah. I think where the inefficiency comes in is, well, do I want to do a coin join, say, make my coins private? I'd probably be better off, you know, throwing them in the lightning chip and writing through there instead. Or, you know, frankly, like throwing it on Zcash from an arrow. That'll give you better guarantees than for you know less money than a lot of the coin join usage. Yeah, I think all very good points, and it's it's a bit tricky, right? Because um, as you said, making a payment in coin join is usually where we get a lot of efficient or where we can potentially get a lot of efficiency gain. But so far, the only coin join implementation that does this is join market, right? Yeah. Uh, and even for here, only one user. Uh, out of the coin join can do the payment. Only the taker, not the makers. I'm pretty sure with join market, there is actually a mode where you can say, I need to do this payment and just do it eventually. But if, you know, I, I can't imagine many people actually use it. But you know, say if I wanted to you know, put some of my income off to an exchange, that would be a perfect use case. Because mm -hmm. you know, I know rent's gonna be paid in a week and uh, I can wait. Yeah, yeah, no, not a common thing. Yeah, exactly. And and so, for example, in Wasabi specifically, uh, one of the issues um, is that it's not a payment contract, right? Yeah. Uh, because it relies on zero link. It it relies on and it, it must have equal amounts uh, on the cryptographic coordination layer. Otherwise, there is no privacy. Um, and this is a, a big downside because now you cannot make a payment. You have to coin join to yourself and then make a payment. So instead of just having one payment transaction, you have two. Right. So this is inherently more inefficient. And then the question is, how do you structure this type of coin join rather efficiently? Um, and so what, uh, what Wasabi cautiously chose here was a high anonymity set, so a large base of users, so that the uh, transaction uh, ID overhead uh, becomes like we use that a lot, um, as well as batching different coin join pools. Uh, so in Wasabi, there's a 0.1 pool, a 0 0.2, 0 0.4, 0 0.8, 1.6, 3.2, exponential. Um, and all of these could be independent pools, um, you know, each creating their own transaction where there's only the 0.2 or only the 0.8 or what. Uh, but in Wasabi, this is batched. So under one transaction, all of these pools are batched, and then we get the efficiency of transaction batching. Um, so these are two of the things that we considered in, in the early uh, the Wasabi design, uh, but it's far from efficient and cheap. It will probably still cost you a lot more first on on-chain fees, but then you also have to consider coordination fees, uh, which specifically in join market can be actually quite expensive.
it's probably even worse for people that have different wallets that they have to make one first transaction to send to Wasabi, then one transaction to yes. Rejoin, then yes. another transaction to get to the ring out. Yes, so yes, yeah. It gets big, big, big one. Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, and I think that might be a little underappreciated by many people how, you know, and you see this in Lightning Wallets, like, you really want your wallet to be able to support many different things purely to avoid having to do many yeah. transactions to get yeah. things in there. Which is also why output script descriptors right, uh, are so important yeah. because now you can kind of import uh, just one private key specifically from that wallet into another and then sign. Yeah, probably the, the problem there is also the like different scripts. Basically, what I was saying before, Tableau here would do that because if I make a coin join, I'm the only one with a, I don't know, three or five multi sig. And then I send something to another three or five months. I see that it's probably easier to link uh, like people. So yeah. top of the year really has because every input, even if it's a kind of I don't know, strange wallet with time blocks and or even just a simple multi they would all look the same. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'm interesting for Jonas answer actually. So I must admit I'm not that knowledge knowledgeable about coin joints and then because I know that's today a huge field <laughs> and um, but i've never been really convinced that it works so great i must admit um, i've talked earlier about saving one byte so i don't really like making more transactions than you have have to for uh for for getting your anonymity set i hope in the future that uh, but this is the far future that Bitcoin can advance to a state where coin joins are really, really usable. I mean, one fix is confidential transactions, but that's very hard to get into Bitcoin, probably to Bitcoin itself. Uh, I want to shill um, Nick's Bitcoin again because we recently added join market. So I, I'm going to play with coin joins at least soon because I wanted to have a DeFi on Nick's Bitcoin and get my my yield with join market by providing uh, by providing liquidity and i think one thing that people who are interested in this should look at is this uh, wabi sabi idea by by wasabi i'm really big fan of that because that allows you to split your inputs and outputs you provide to the mix in a way where the coordinator doesn't learn about it and more importantly i think also in the context of HCPP, because I know that a lot of people are talking about that, is with the same scheme, Wabi Sabi, you can build really efficient uh, anonymous Bitcoin banks. So that's, I think, a cool side benefit of this uh, Wabi Sabi idea. Yes, yes, and I, I gotta give Jonas credit here because we were researching Wabi Sabi now for a year and a half or so, uh, and we're, we, we were at the point where we found out what we want to have, so that the user can register multiple inputs without revealing them on the communication layer to the coordinator. He can register multiple outputs without linking each of them to the same user as well. And the coordinator must not link inputs to outputs, right? Um, and so we have that figured out that this was what we want. Um, and we didn't know the crypto for it. Uh, so we got Jonas on, on, on one of the research calls and, and he was like, yes, yes, uh, signal paper, key verified anonymous credentials, uh, that works perfectly. And it was a soft case. Uh, and, and since then we've, uh, we're, we've kind of refined it and, and implemented it. Uh, so thanks Jonas for actually coming up with that. Yeah, I'm, I just did the easy parts. I mean, the hard parts are actually putting the parts together such that they work. And I know, I think you're, people are still implementing it, right? 
Uh, yes, the crypto implementation, at least the proof of concept uh, in C Sharp is pretty much done. Okay. Um, it's going to be slowly now upgraded with more tests to production ready code. Um, and uh, we're currently doing a lot of research on transaction structure and, and graph analysis, uh, which turns out to be much, much more difficult actually, because there's much more design space, right? Mm -hmm. um, uh, like, how are you going to structure one single transaction? and then an entire graph of transactions uh, in a way that is efficient and brings decent privacy. It's, it's actually very difficult to come down to an optimal solution. Um, so it's a lot of work still, but uh, two weeks. <laughs> Can I take a dive into shitcoinery and ask you guys what you think about something which might be a bad idea, but I still want to know why. Go for it. So yesterday, Litecoin activated extension blocks with Mimblewimble. And we know what that means if it works on Litecoin. They have been working with a Grin devel developer and they want to have it, they, they want to have a mainnet launch in a couple of months. So why are extension blocks a good or a bad idea? That's the idea that concerns me the most. I mean, the way I'd go put that is essentially that's just a way of doing a protocol upgrade with an increased block size. I think whether or not that's good or bad depends on, well, you know, ultimately all part of it. Well, what's increasing block size and can the system likely handle that? I mean, if I were owning, if I owned a pile of Litecoin, one of the things I'd be thinking about is, well, is this crypto really going to work? Because at some point, the, I mean, assuming this is a soft fork, and I have to look at the details there, but it's a soft fork, the amount of coins that go into the Mimble Wimble part will eventually get to the point where it's economically relevant, which also means the bug in that is economically relevant. <laughs> and like it or not, this is a whole bunch of much more complex crypto than Litecoin normally is. And I mean, a sort of standard I like to talk about as well. Could a drunk fine arts graduate go and figure out how to go on this? Because I'm a <laughs> fine arts graduate and usually drunk. <laughs> and, usually drunk. <laughs> and you know, and I, you know, I could I could not do that for Mimblewimble. And I mean, frankly, like no one really can. They all they can really do is just audit the math and say, oh yeah, that looks like it works. Mm -hmm. Whereas it's so easy to go audit the amounts. So this is really a fundamental change in kind of Litecoin's economics. It'll take a while to happen but it's it's a big deal and you know i i couldn't say like bitcoin should do this because it's it's unclear how well that math works does anyone know more details on on this extension block um specifically so you you move your your litecoin in this case from regular scripts into mimblewimble scripts or in this mimblewimble extension block um can you ever um spend this mimblewimble coin with a regular litecoin script in the output so can you move out of the extension block back into uh, the, the base currency? I mean, if it's a soft rope, you should be uh, able to do that somehow, but I, I don't really see. Well, so the thing is, like, with a soft fork in this, the miners would have full insight into the extension block and what's going on and so on. Mm -hmm. And they would essentially just say, well, you know, there's this pool of money that looks like an anyone can spend, but if it follows the rule of the Mimblewimble block, we'll then let it go somewhere else. Mm -hmm. which is not unlike, say, Blockstream's liquid thing. It's just replace, you know, minor consensus with a bunch of 
guys who are pretending to be banks, but we're not going to use the term. <laughs> and, you know, again, like that's the key thing with Mimble Wimble. Like, you know, the money, the money is locked up in that thing. That, because it by default isn't anyone can spend, if the math of the Mimble Wimble implementation breaks, that, or, it doesn't actually mean the math breaks, it can also mean like there's just an exploit. You know, it's, I mean, just like any of these other things, you can steal money on mass and bad things can happen. And you want to make sure you actually get this right. Or, you know, you can, you can see the price of Litecoin crash. I think it's pretty cool. I, I wasn't aware of this. I mean, of course, this wouldn't be an option for Bitcoin in the midterm, perhaps in the very long term, because, of course, on the base layer, we do uh, get uh, efficiency improvements and the hardware gets better and the internet connection gets better. So perhaps at some point we can soft fork in uh, bigger blocks, but that won't be in the next uh, few years, I suppose. So I'm, I'm happy that there are projects that are experimenting uh, with this. Yeah, I think it's definitely interesting that for once they are doing something different from Bitcoin as opposed to just being the testnet or copying code that gets yeah. developed by Core. Right. But I suppose it's relevant in the context of hackers conference as opposed to breaking Bitcoin or something else <laughs> that would be hardcore Bitcoin. And I think this is close to the end. It's I mean, I will go say, you started this off saying shitcoin, and what Litecoin's doing doesn't quite clearly fit the description. Oh yeah, I think it's, it's definitely interesting. Yeah. But a lot of people have very bad ideas in regards to what Litecoin is and what it does. They consider it basically some sort of inflation for Bitcoin supply because it's not much different. It has some of the same properties. It doesn't have the same security. I mean, I think like Adam Back in particular, especially earlier on, he's really pushed the idea of, well, these different coins effectively inflate the supply of Bitcoin. And I, I don't know, like, I'm not that convinced by that argument, but it doesn't mean I necessarily think an infinite supply of coins is a good thing. Okay, so I see you're getting water. I want to ask Max if someone else is supposed to come in and take over. Yeah, it doesn't have yet, so um, he was asking if somebody else is uh, supposed to come. Oh, uh, oh, someone is supposed to come? Yes, uh, Pavla Holsova or something. <laughs> Check names. Uh, she's coming soon, in two weeks. Uh, she will be down here. Um, uh, let's see, but... I actually think maybe already. Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, she will come for sure. I mean, I could ask a couple more questions, but I'm trying to be fair and not take up too much time. Oh, no, no, that's that's all right. I think we can uh, make a, a smooth handover um, now over the next couple minutes. Uh, so, yes. Uh, Vlad, any, any final rapid fire rounds to, to finish this up, maybe? Yeah, so what does it take to become a Bitcoin Core developer and why should one 
pursue this goal? I'm just gonna start by saying that I'm technically not a Bitcoin core developer because I've never, um, I don't have any commit in core or actually in any other major uh, Bitcoin project. I think maybe in C Lightning. Uh, but yeah, I don't know. I just think if you like Bitcoin, if you have passion for for the topic, just you know start a small, uh, some maybe small company and then try to, I don't know, uh, contribute open source stuff, get people to know you. Uh, I, I mean, this is basically what I've done. Uh, yes, for others too. I mean, I contributed, you know, quite a few years ago, and then haven't for a while. But based on kind of what I've seen, I'd actually go say, you know, that's kind of the right approach. Like, go find something within the entire ecosystem that makes sense for you. You know, don't just focus on like, well, should I contribute to Bitcoin Core? You know, frankly, I mean, Bitcoin Core. I don't really want to say stagnated because it's not really true, but it's like the really creepy things that could be going on. I think it's a smaller share of the entire ecosystem than it used to be. You know, it used to be it's like... Good. I mean, it's specialization. Uh, yeah, oh, it's like... Like Bitcoin Code is trying to be an old and others. Yeah, and you know, five years ago, there's just more stuff to be done on Bitcoin Core relative to the whole ecosystem. Whereas now, you know, it's just one part of many. I mean, particularly, of course, Lightning. You know, Lightning's, there's more code complexity and stuff in Lightning than all of Bitcoin Core. So, you know, find the thing you're interested in and don't feel, don't feel like there's more value on one thing than another. You know, yeah. figure out like what's, what excites you and what you're good at. Yeah. Um, yeah, and, and you know, one important thing is uh, that being a, a general free software contributor, specifically Bitcoin Core, does not mean that you have to be a coder. Um, funnily, even even officially looking at the Git log, I'm a Bitcoin Core contributor because I fixed a typo in the Taproot pull request to libsecp. <laughs> so, you know that that counts. Um, but I, I agree with you. That's I mean, Bitcoin Core is a super important project. It's right? super important. Um, but the question is. Uh, if you contribute to this specific project, is that the most important thing that you can do with your time? Right? And in many, many cases, probably the answer is no. Uh, just because the Bitcoin Core process will probably need very specialized knowledge uh, to make a meaningful impact. Um, I mean, sure, maybe some UI work or some some you know well, test I cases mean, and everything. Yeah, you know, my own check clock to verify um, patch to Bitcoin Core, which was an upgrade to the consensus. Mm -hmm. That was probably like what, five lines of code, maybe 50 lines of tests, and was it two years or something of like politics? <laughs> like the skill set does not look like a normal software project. You know, and frankly, like most of what I contributed to with Bitcoin Core was not writing code, it was peer review and analysis and so on. You know, I'm, there's much more interesting stuff on my blog than anything I actually directly wrote in Bitcoin Core. <laughs> Yeah. I think too many people see like making a comment on core as some kind of achievement, that, like a validation. You need to do that. But I don't know. I mean, for me personally, I don't think that this is the case. Maybe I will in the future do something on core. Maybe I won't. I don't think this is like a measurement of how much of a Bitcoin developer I am. What do you think, Jonas? Yeah, I think most important, as you've already said, is, is passion. And the second thing is luck, because you need to find someone who funds you for the things you're uh, passionate about. And there are quite a few people passionate about Bitcoin, and there's only so much funding. So 
if you don't have that luck uh, immediately then and you're really passionate about it then you also need patience because then you need to constantly reapply re-ask what can we do try to get a grant and then hopefully at one point uh, you'll be able to to work on what you want and also get paid and if you don't get paid and you do it in your free time that's great too um, there are many people who do that and um, but uh, don't don't freak out about it and burn out. <laughs> that will be my suggestion. Okay, so I see that the next people, specifically Max, is around and is about to take over. So thank you very much for joining this conversation. I'm very happy that I got to meet you all because I saw you a year ago in Berlin and it, coincidentally I'm wearing the t-shirt that I received <laughs> during the Lightning Conference. And I saw all of you at the Lightning Conference, and it's <laughs> ironic that there's an, a global pandemic which prevents us from meeting in person right now, but I'm glad that we get to do this. So thank you very much for participating. Thank you, Jonas. Thank you, Peter and Alekos and Max. And I'll see you around. I, I think I'm going to host tomorrow morning once again, and there's going to be John Carvalho. Hello.